For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode number 87. I swear they fly by anymore. Um, you know, just talking to all sorts of people, but I'm very, very happy to have all my guests today. I got Kate Boyle from uh, the Mind Health Movement podcast. I get that right. I, I know I'm going to butcher that. <laughs> yes, you did. You got it 100% correct. <laughs> good, good. How are you? Good. It's uh, a nice uh, early morning here for me, so I'm uh, bright and sparkly, all ready for our interview. <laughs> nice. Um, are you more of a morning person or are you a night owl? 100% morning. I am not a night owl at all. So very happy to be up, you know, 5, 6 in the morning um, in bed uh, by like 9pm. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, that's about the same deal for me. I'm usually up about 4.30am every single morning. And then um, in bed, usually around eight to nine o'clock at the very, very latest. Uh, I, I just find that when I'm up nice, bright and early in the morning, it, it's like my me time. I get to just have peace and quiet. I cook, I walk my dogs, just, I don't know. That's why I'm such a morning person. Do you, do you kind of have like a similar experience? Yeah. So this morning I was up early just trying to do do some work because I find it's the time my kids are still in bed, my husband's still in bed, the house is quiet and I can focus. Um, I like to exercise in the morning too. So I'm, you know, I want to get that in before everything gets a bit hectic and I lose track of time and I, I can't fit it in. So a hundred percent, it is the time in the morning that I set aside for me that kind of sets me up for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that as soon as I started kind of including a, uh, a good breakfast in the morning and then a post-walk meal every single morning, I feel like I'm always just much more ready to kind of start the day. And if I don't get like my walk in, I just, the day feels off. I, it feels weird. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm a, I have to do my exercise in the morning. It just kind of resets me, I think, mentally, physically. I've moved my body, so I've gotten that energy out, and then I can concentrate better on everything else. So, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an auto mechanic. If I wasn't an auto mechanic, that'd be at his job for 7-ish uh, a.m. every single morning. I would be hitting the heavy deadlifts every single morning, but uh, I end up having to work out later in the afternoon because in order for me to go to the gym in the morning, I'd have to be up at like 3.30 and then, you know, drink the pre-workout, go to the gym. But uh, yeah, so anyways, um, we didn't even get to introductions yet, but I've been uh, enjoying the conversation so far. Um, who are you and what was your kind of journey to discover that health is such an important part of your life? 
So I am a nutritionist and a Pilates instructor and mm -hmm. former dancer. So for me, I grew up with health being a really big part of my life, having performing all the time, you know, dancing five, six days a week from a very young age, having and being physical was a huge part of my life. Unfortunately, by the time I probably was about 11 or 12, you know, that body sort of image comes into play. You're comparing yourself with everybody. And it was probably around that age that I already started restricting my food intake. And by the time I was 16, I did a major injury where I tore the meniscus in my knee, which just meant surgery and pretty much any sort of, you know, chance of having a full-time dance career was possible, but it's going to be extremely difficult. And so I therefore kind of, you know, had to go through a bit of a journey of what, what am I going to do if I can't dance full-time, then I've got to find something else. And because I had been very strict on my nutrition, you know, and on top of my dancing, I was running in the morning and trying to control everything through that you know, restriction in eating, I decided to go off to uni and um, study nutrition and, and food science and become a nutritionist to try to help other people. Um, through that, I was teaching dancing part-time and, you know, had obviously done Pilates and a girlfriend said, you know, go off and do the Pilates course while you're at uni, you'll get some part-time work, it'll be fantastic. And so I went off and did more training through the anatomy side, physiology, all the, you know, I knew how to teach well, I was teaching dancing, I knew how to move well, but learning the principles behind you know injury and exercise prescription and all of that sort of stuff kind of opened a new world for me it made complete sense because it's stuff I'd been doing all my life but I hadn't been able to do it for other people so I finished uni with my degree ended up finishing the Pilates course and then kind of I've melded the two together. I worked for, you know, different studios around Melbourne. I went across to Europe and worked across there in wow. Switzerland as a Pilates instructor and nutritionist. I worked privately for a family in Spain for six months, which was a whole nother experience, and then came back and opened um, Mind Movement Health and Mind and Movement Pilates. So a wellness studio that incorporates Pilates, but we also do, you know, in-person and online events around nutrition and just general overall health and well-being. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a heck of a history into fitness. Um, unfortunately, mine was pretty much I just started lifting heavy stuff when I was in about uh, in middle school because I was no longer happy with my physique. But, uh, you know, we, we can kind of touch on that a little bit later. Um, did you find that you being so disciplined with dancing as in dancing five to six days a week, did that kind of bleed over into other areas? Because um, you seem to be in very, very good health. And I see you have a family and you seem to balance your work life and your family life very, very well. Do you kind of attribute that to having discipline throughout your dancing career and early on being a, a relatively fit and healthy person? Yeah, I do. I mean, the discipline through dancing, you know, you get taught from a very young age or you soon learn in the dance world mm -hmm. that if you aren't putting in 110%, there are so many people around you that want it just as bad and right. they're going to do it. So you're going to miss out on the opportunities. So, yeah, I think from that sort of early on stage, there was that. Um, growing up in my family, you know, I've got older siblings. They had issues with drug and alcohol as well from being, oh, wow. you know, a young age. And my oldest brother was eight years older than me. So, you know, that age gap when he was 18 and I was 10, it was very clear in my mind that I didn't want to go down that path. And that for me to avoid that was to throw myself into, you know, 
my dreams and really working on what I wanted to get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Yeah, I kind of feel that too a little bit because I know looking at my family and my family history, um, there was a lot of disease like my um, mother's parents and I don't want to sound all doom and gloom, but you know, my mother's parents were gone long before I was even thought of. And both my um, dad's parents had passed away before I was even 20 years old. So I kind of looked at that as an example, like, okay, well, I plan to have kids one day and I would love it to be around for their kids, right? So whatever my parents and grandparents all did to get them to that unhealthy state, um, I kind of want to do the opposite. And that's not to say they're bad people, just they didn't focus on their health. So in return, I decided, okay, well, this needs to be a priority in my life just so that way I could be around as long as I want to because, okay, yeah, you could live to 100 years old, but what is it if you don't have any health at that age, right? Your health span is a lot more important than your lifespan. Exactly. And I mean, you know, I think if the last few years have kind of shown us anything, it's Mm -hmm. that our health needs to be our number one priority. Because if we don't have a health, we can't go out and enjoy things. You know, we can't be present for our family. We can't show up for work. We can't. So it's kind of the driving factor or, you know, that's kind of the message I'm trying to share with people is that health needs to be our number one priority because if it's not, then everything else is going to fall around around us, you know, whether we think it's going to or not, that eventually that's what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. I always said that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic was kind of like a, uh, a, a pin that pricked a lot of bubbles and it just so happened that in the world we have a very very big health bubble where everybody thought they were healthy but then when you had something to kind of trip people up we found out okay well there's a lot of vulnerable people and a lot of people who have not taken care of their health when we've sat there and told people for a very long time like hey you should probably get on top of this well this exposed a lot of that underlying weakness and it's it's very unfortunate but you know hopefully at least in my experience initially Um, I remember back in early 2020, it was kind of nice to see everybody outside walking, exercising. Then when gyms opened back up, there were a lot of people flowing back in there. So that was something a little bit optimistic that I took out of it. It still seems like a lot of people quite haven't learned their lesson, but, you know, and once again, it's not to shame people or anything like that, but, you know, your health is very, very important. And as I said earlier, you know, what is a long lifespan if you don't have long health span? You know, what if you can't get down to play with your kids? What if you can't go take your dogs for a walk every day? What is your life if you can't get to enjoy it? Yeah, and we're living longer than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. Actually, this generation has actually, we are actually the first generation that is now living less than the previous generation. Mm -hmm. And that is coming about because of lifestyle diseases, because we're not moving as much as we should, because we have so many conveniences and distractions and, you know, all those types of things that come into play. So, you know, even through keeping in contact with all my clients, you know, throughout the last two years it would just be you know we say concentrate on the small things you know maybe you know you can get out and do that walk you've got all this time now what's something that you haven't been focusing on and you've been wanting to Mm -hmm. but you just never found that time so it was trying to reframe you know the horrible situation that we were in just to find you know the silver linings almost and Mm -hmm. use some of that extra time that we all seem to have to pursue some areas of our health that really needed attention yeah so this kind of tells on to another subject that uh, I think you might be able to relate with as well but 
in 2020, I had just went buck nuts on running so much to the point that I actually hurt myself a couple of times. Um, I ran 100 miles total in the month of June, whereas I was hardly doing any cardio prior to that. So I'd wake up, you know, my usual time, 4 to 4.30 every single morning. I'd row a mile. Sometimes on lunch, I'd go for a 5K, maybe run five miles. The weekend mornings, I'd run anywhere from six to 10 miles. And it, it got to the point where, like I said, I literally hurt myself. I went for a half marathon in uh, October of 2020. And I, I don't know if I tore something, but my uh, Achilles tendon was just like killing me for months and months on end. Um, do you ever have any clients that just go a little too balls to the walls and don't know when to just like, hey, you could do things in a reasonable fashion. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah, I have lots of those clients. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because they no, I'm straight up with people. So, you know, I will say it in, in a nice way, sure. but yes, I will. I've had, you know, runners. I've had a client that tore their plantar fascia, had had multiple knee surgeries, but still wanted to play basketball five times a week, you know, and was in their sort of late forties. So sometimes we have to have those hard conversations and mainly it's around, you know, trying to create balance. And that's all what we do within the studio around, you know, try to prevent injuries, work on strength and call incorporate Pilates is really finding that balance. And like our diet, our exercise is the same. And if we're using the same muscles over and over, then we're going to, you know, burn out or cause an injury just from overuse. So, you know, those conversations can be hard, but, you know, like with the running, if I've had someone that, you know, is really taking up running, I'll be like, you know, we need to build it up gradually, take your time, see how you're pulling up after a run, make sure when you are pulling up after a run, you know, that you are doing some release work and whether or not that you might have a, a foam roller or a massage ball or take a bath with, you know, some magnesium oil or, or bath salts, or maybe it's seeing, you know, a massage therapist, whatever it is, it's having that system in place that you can do your training, but also have that recovery period. And, you know, running every day is probably not going to be ideal. Having a break day in between and maybe switching it off and up and doing your weight session, you know, on the day in between is going to be much better uh, for a prolonged activity and improvement than just kind of bashing it out and all in one go. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, you mentioned foam rollers. And I remember the first time I used a foam roller after a long run, there's a trail by my house and to go front to back, I mean, it is a beautiful run. And I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, but uh, there's something absolutely wonderful about just going for a run and there's nothing but trees, silence, the trail and waterfalls. I mean, it, it's amazing and i haven't done a lot of cardio recently i walk my dogs every single day religiously but um there's something beautiful about that but i remember um my fiance and i had went to go work out afterwards and she wasn't feeling too hot so she's like you know maybe we should just like stretch or something like that and i remember i was walking a little tight and i foam rolled my um hip flexors and i remember getting up and just feeling completely refreshed and everything loosened up it was it's one of those light bulb moments. Um, have you had situations like that with people where, you know, kind of going back to the all or nothing mentality where these people are just balls of walls and you just give them like, hey, why don't you run every other day and do some foam rolling? And these people are like, wow, I feel a million times better. Have you had any of those light bulb moments with clients? Yeah. And generally what's really interesting is it usually comes from the men. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so they, well, they usually, are, you know, they come into the studio generally because they've been referred by someone. Mm -hmm. So they've eventually made it to me because they've, you know, tried everything else and it's either their wife 
or their doctor said, you know what, go see Kate, you know, she'll be able to sort you out. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just trying to, you know, almost do a bit of brain retraining and getting them to look at it differently and explaining to them, you know, that if you were, you know, a, a really expensive car and you drive it really hard all the time, then you're going to have to go to the mechanic more often. You know, you're going to have to look after that car. So she's using analogies like that just to try and to explain and also them seeing that when they do pull back and maybe they were running five or six days a week, which is quite common common for some of my, um, you know, older guys getting to their 40s and 50s and they've done it all their life and they want to keep doing it. You know, and I'll be like, okay, just run every second day, pull it back to three times a week. And then in those in-between days, you know, go for a walk, you know, do your weights, foam roll. Uh, they have less injuries. They actually have better endurance for the runs when they do run. They find their times are quicker as well. So, and also we do a lot of training around the breath too. So getting them to really utilize breathing through the nose and swapping from mouth breathing um, just helps much better to, uh, you know, regulate your heart rate, your um, energy output, especially when it comes to running as well. So there's a lot of scientific evidence behind it. And so training and going through all those things, once they see the difference it makes, they're sold. They're like, yep, done. So happy. But to get to that point takes a bit of work. Yeah. And I, can completely empathize with that because I was that way at one point, but I didn't realize, okay, well, maybe I don't have to kill myself in the weight room. Maybe I don't have to kill myself on the trail every single time because I was getting pretty good at running. I mean, I had a uh, 24 and a half minute 5k. I ran my first half marathon in two hours and 15 minutes, but then I realized, okay, well, you know, just completely annihilating yourself isn't a good long-term strategy. And um, one of my favorite bodybuilders out there right now, I think he puts out some of the best information is a uh, stand efforting. And he always says compliance is the science. So, you know, if you can run five to six days a week, cool, but are you going to be able to do that for the rest of your life? Because yes, it's going to expend a little bit more energy, but we also like to eat back the calories that we burn. You know, everybody loves to wear their watches and everything. And you see that you burn 700 calories, right? You see that and you think, okay, well, that means I can go eat that piece of cheesecake now. Um, do you find that also people have a little bit better relationship um, with exercise when you can kind of get them to dial it back a little bit? Yeah, hundred percent. And also it's teaching them too. We know now, you know, scientific evidence shows, um, you know, hit training. So high interval intensity training, interval training, you actually get much better results from a much shorter workout, swapping to that type of workout, than running 10 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sort of arming them with that scientific evidence, getting them to give it a go and them seeing the difference that it can make. And, you know, they might add in two hit workouts and still do their three runs a week, but, you know, they still get the same results. And just educating people on that is a huge difference because, I mean, who doesn't want to, you know, burn the same amount of calories and get the same amount out of their exercise from a 15-minute workout in comparison to a 45-minute run? Like hands down, majority of people are going to take the 15 minute every time. Mm -hmm. So I think that education is just a big thing too. Yeah. And um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. It's um, yeah. A lot of people's typical excuses that they don't have the time for, right? Oh, I don't have time to work out. Well, okay. If I can give you, you know, maybe split up your training into smaller bouts throughout the week 
then, okay, maybe you can handle that. Maybe you can handle 15 minutes of weight training rather than go and do an hour every single day. So like me personally, I do six days a week, but that's because I'm a little bit more of a unique breed when it comes to resistance training. I want to be in there. I enjoy that and I have specific goals. Well, not everybody's me. Not everybody's going to bust out the food scale and stuff like that to ensure everything's into, you know, a perfect alignment. Yeah, and I agree. And, you know, there are, I'd say, the majority of people that struggle to, you know, get to a gym or find that motivation to move. And that's why, you know, if you can just start with five minutes, then that is going to be better than nothing. And even clients that come to it, you know, they come to class once a week mm -hmm. and I say to them, I, I can help you in that one hour a week. It's great. But when you look at how many hours we have in the whole week, it's not enough. So, you know, it's great to do one class, but if you can do three lots of 10 minutes at home in between during the week, your results are going to exponentially increase mm -hmm. so much more quickly. You're going to get quicker results, better results, just by adding in those, just those short sessions, because it's the consistency that matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was um, something that was kind of revelatory for me in my personal training as to where I used to do what they call, you know, the bro split where you train every single muscle once a week, but you would only do five to eight sets per muscle per week. Well, as I started to look into people like Brad Schoenfeld and uh, Mike Isertel and some of these other guys who are a little bit more, um, you know, into the, you know, woods on the uh, muscle building research, I found out, okay, well, if I maybe train each body part two to three times a week and spread out my training, then I get more sets per body part per week which you know that you're going to gain more lean mass over time because now you've, you know, performed more work on the muscle. And then you also, you know, trigger muscle protein synthesis more often than just, you know, hitting it once a week and then leaving it rest. That's it. Well, you're triggering muscle volume to increase. You're also triggering this, you know, overall endurance of the muscle as well. And I just think, you know, it's like whether or not you want to run, you want to swim, you want to, you know, build up your muscles over time, as we've sort of been saying, it's the consistency that really matters. If you're just doing it sporadically or once a week, it's going to be great maintenance wise, but if you actually want to see an improvement, you really do need to dial it up so that it's at least two to three times a week. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's definitely where I've seen the majority of my results. So kind of tailing on to that, um, fad diets, what are your opinions on some of the fad diets? I kind of want to go through these <laughs> one at a time. So, uh, the latest one seems to be carnivore. Um, I want to get your opinion on it and then, um, kind of give you a little bit of my story. And, you know, I, I kind of want to see what, if, the, if any of your clients had a similar experience. So yeah, what's your opinion on the, uh, the carnivore diet? Okay, so I, fad diets are really funny because I don't really like any of them personally. Um, I have seen people, you know, they, people come to me and, you know, this is a diet I'm on and, you know, it's working and that's great. So carnivore diet, high in meat, high in protein. It's going to keep you full for longer. Short term, it's going to be great. You're going to lose weight because you're going to be tending to eat higher amounts of protein, usually veggies, less sugar, less, less starch, um, lower levels of inflammation. Long-term, we know studies have shown higher amounts of meat are linked to bowel cancer, colon cancer, lack of fiber, so constipation. So, you know, short-term, you'll get results. Long-term, it's trying to find that balanced approach. So I'm a big believer in having, you know, a good source of protein every meal and then lots of veggies to add it in. But that protein source could be, you know, legumes. It could be nuts. It could be um, seeds. It doesn't, tofu, it doesn't have to be meat. So it's really trying to 
to diversify your protein source where possible. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that at all either. Um, I did carnivore for about two years, and I, I tell people this all the time, but I kind of felt like a kid running around with dynamite when I was on carnivore because a lot of other people saw like, hey, holy crap, you lost a whole ton of weight. I was 250 pounds at one point. Now I usually run around around like 190-ish right now. And, uh, you know, it worked for me, and I couldn't wait to tell everybody about this, but I you know, I was looking at this very, very short-term view. And what I can never understand is that on the weekends, if my fiance and I would go out, you know, I would love to just cheat. I would gorge. I would have bad binge eating episodes, essentially, where I would just eat all the ice cream, cheesecake, everything that was put in front of my face would be gone. But what I never realized is that, hey, you're just not eating enough throughout the week. You're starving yourself on six days. And then that seventh day comes around and <laughs> Boom, all the results you had throughout the week are gone because you're just not eating enough. Um, have you seen that kind of happen with your clients? I, I think the term, the correct term for it would be like yo-yo dieting, essentially. Yeah, it's a really common, you know, one. And, you know, if you go on a diet, they tend to be strict, whether or not it's carnivore, keto, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, they're going to be very strict. They're really going to be telling you to eat protein and vegetables and cut out sugar and you know mm -hmm. bad fats like we'll say trans fats and saturated fats in the form of you know processed foods and biscuits and cakes and takeaways mm -hmm. you know that's going to be great a client actually came to me yesterday because she's a part of a study she put her hand up to be part of a study and she's been put on a ketogenic diet and the first phase of that is to have new replacement shakes for breakfast and lunch. And then dinner is protein and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Now it's ketogenic. So she's also very restricted on the vegetables that she's getting. So she can't have any starches. So she's like, I'm starving. I am starving. I just want to eat everything that's around. My husband's sitting next to me eating leftover Easter eggs and I'm yelling at him. You know, she goes, I'm angry. I'm tired. I don't have endurance to do the exercises she needs to do as part of the study. She's like, what can I do i said you need to speak to them you know i said that kind of strict diet you can do for a short period of time but i said you're armed with the knowledge you, you come to us you're armed with the knowledge of, of balanced eating so i said speak to them and find out how long they want you to stick to this as part of the study and then convey with them all the things that you're going through right now because changing diet you know this lady is in her 60s she's going through menopause she's like i haven't had a hot flush in four years and they're back so so, you know, changing your diet and restricting your diet will change your hormone levels. So these are the sort of things that people don't sort of think about long term. And so, you know, that's why it's really trying to find that balanced approach. And, you know, as you said, yo-yo dieting will work for a short period, but you will fall off the bandwagon because you're going to be hungry and your body is going to be craving the things that it's missing out on. And, you know, often it might be, you know, minerals like magnesium, but your body is going... I just want sugar because I need energy and I need it quickly. And what's going to give me that? It's going to be the donut. It's going to be the muffin. It's going to be the ice cream. And then you go a bit crazy over it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I started reintroducing carbohydrates and everything. And I use a carbon diet coach now to track my nutrition, weight, and metabolism overall. Um, I started using it about probably almost a year ago now. And I remember the first meal I sat down, I had a steak and a sweet potato and I think some shrimp with peppers. My fiance and I went to Longhorn Steakhouse and I remember thinking, okay, that was really good. But then once I kind of figured out, okay, 
if I eat this much every single day for the entire week, the cravings aren't there. When I was on carnivore, I would have these just ridiculous cravings and I'm very, very disciplined. I can look at the donuts and stuff like that and think, wow, that'd be really nice. But, but once again, when it comes to the moment where, you know, you're out to eat and you're happy and you're trying to have a good time, you break. Everybody does. And that doesn't make people a bad person, but it's like, hey, you're not doing something that works for you. Carnivore can work for some people for a period of time. But I mean, if you're starving day in, day out, how are you going to sustain that? Like you were saying with your client, how can you expect someone to drink two shakes for you know their entire morning? I would be dying. And I've done a five-day fast before. I've done three-day fast every single month for months and months on end. I would be dying. That's horrible. That's torture. Eat something. <laughs> have some yeah, vegetables. Who, have something satiating in the morning so that way you're less hungry throughout the day. That's it. So, you know, with the compliance, and obviously this study is a little bit different, you know, I said to her, if you're going to have the shake for breakfast and you're hungry, you know, there are foods you can have a boiled egg that's higher in protein. Have a handful of nuts that's higher in protein. Have some, you know, chopped up veggies like, either carrot and celery there are things you can add in and obviously this is a, an example of something short term and then swapping over you know when we're looking at food choices it's trying to find you know look at your plate and make sure you've got a good source of protein that you've got some complex carbs on there and that you've got some good fats so the good fats might be in the form of avocado or olive oil or you know i feel it's, these are the things that we all kind of know but when it comes to applying them it's not always as easy mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, when I came back to kind of eating carbohydrates and all sorts of different foods, I realized how much more sustainable it is for me. And then, you know, I do do a little bit of the, if it fits your macros where I have fit in cheesecake and stuff like that, just so that way, you know, I don't gain weight or I'm not frustrated with myself, but even, you know, I, I tell people this all the time, you're one meal off the plan and you're one meal back on where you're not a bad person. If you faltered on your diet and it's okay to have something, you know, a little bit of ice cream with your wife or adjusting for the highest quality of life in the moment, maybe having a cocktail with when you're out with your friends, but don't let that be an every single night kind of thing, because that's when obviously you're going to run into issues. Exactly. And it's finding that balance, you know, food should be enjoyable we share it with friends we share it with family you know it's there in our big events so it is supposed to be enjoyed so I always like to sort of say to my clients you know think of that 80 20 rule that comes in you know throughout your life whether I you sort of realize it or not or almost in the sense of diet 90 10 it's finding that balance where 80 to 90 percent of the time you're trying to stick to those healthy foods including as many vegetables as you can you know but that you know 10 to 20 percent of the time just enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't look at foods as being good or bad. There's food. There's going to be nutritious, dense foods that, you know, are going to be higher in a lot more nutrients. And then there's going to be foods that are going to be quite low in nutrients, but you're going to enjoy them. So, you know, look at it more in that sense and say 90% of the time, I really want to fuel my body well. So I need to choose those nutrient dense foods. And the 10% of the time, you know, I'm going to enjoy myself and eat those sort of lower nutrient dense foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of your clients kind of have that mentality of good or bad foods? Because I know how that affected me and I see how it affects other people is because once you get just that little taste, of that sacred, you know, that sacred fruit that you're not supposed to have, then it's, you know, the wheels are off the wagon and everything goes downhill. Um, I like that you um, kind of laid that out there. And I've heard you lay that out in your podcast that you shouldn't look at foods as good or bad. Do you have a lot of clients that kind of come to you with a uh, issue like that where they just can't stop looking at it that way? 
Yeah, most people sort of categorize and label foods as good or bad. And majority of the time too, they, uh, they have their cheat day. They love the idea of a cheat day. But, you know, I say to them, you don't need to have a cheat day if you're balancing up your diet through the week. You know, you can, you know, have a really healthy breakfast. You might have some, you know, poached eggs, avocado, grilled mushrooms. Lunch might be, you know, a, a minestrone soup with, you know, lots of beans and veggies and lentils. Dinner could be, you know, some, you know, steak and vegetables. And then, you know what, after dinner, you're going to have a few squares of the dark chocolate or you're going to enjoy a little bit of ice cream because you've really fueled up through the day. And that's your 10% that's not going to tip you over the edge. Uh, so I think it's looking at it in that sort of more balanced approach rather than kind of saving it all up to that one cheat day because you really just kind of blow out. If you looked at your 10% spread over a week compared to thinking I'd have my 10% you know, on that one day, your 10% would blow out to like 30%. So yeah, I think that's a, a better way and a more, an easier way. And I think again, it's coming back to rather than going, I'm going to try this because it worked for someone else. Or I'm going to try this because I saw it in the magazine. It's really learning what works for your body and learning just the basic principles of healthy eating and then trying to apply it in a balanced way to your life. Right. I think that's a phenomenal way to put it. Um, so kind of tagging back on to fad diets, what is your opinion on the uh, vegan diet then? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really funny because everybody always assumes that I'm vegan and um, people tend to you know, go, oh, well, you're a nutritionist. So you're vegan. Um, I'm not vegan. I really enjoy eating, you know, ethically sourced meat. Uh, again, short term, people often find that they get great results going vegan. They're cutting out, you know, a lot of triggering foods. So, you know, generally, you know, lower in sugar, lower in those bad sort of, you know, saturated seed oil fats. And they tend to, you know, get clearer skin, they lose weight. But again, long term, there's a a lot of nutrients that they're not getting in that vegan diet. So vitamin B12 is a really big one. They generally have to supplement with that. Um, and then just a lot of, you know, changing to that vegan diet long-term can get hard on the gut and digestion, depending on, you know, if you're eating a lot of going raw vegan or not. So again, short-term great, long-term, I tend to find people have a lot of issues with it and they find it really quite hard to stick to as well. Yeah. And I, I sympathize with that as well. I personally could never go vegan because ever since I was a kid, I absolutely loved eating meat. But um, also a lot of the research suggests that, you know, the um, animal proteins are obviously the most bioavailable to our bodies where they're the most readily available. That's the best source of protein for our bodies. And that's not to say you shouldn't get any protein for plants because there are good plant sources of protein. They're not as good as animal sources, but once again, it doesn't have to be an either or. You can have both. That's okay. Um, do you have clients where you ever need to get them to gain weight and maybe like through doing a reverse diet or maybe even like a lean bulk with people to get them to be a little bit healthier? Because I know the big things, everybody wants to lose weight because obviously we have an obesity problem, but um, do you ever see kind of the opposite of that? Yeah. So 
Generally, it comes from my athletes. So the dancers, the, the, and generally, again, in more of those later teenage, early 20s, when they're training really hard, there is this, you know, body image that they're trying to maintain as well. They're under a lot of mental stress. And, you know, they may have received some information on nutrition, but they're really guiding themselves and just trying to do the best that they can with their knowledge. That's when I tend to see the most that they're under eating uh, or really just not fueling themselves to the amount of activity uh, that they're doing or the muscle that they're trying to maintain. So generally with that, you know, depending on the person, they usually, when it comes from that sporting side, there's often a, a mental aspect of it as well. So we have to be really careful with what we're adding in and how we speak about adding that in, in that it needs to be more about fueling their body and that it's not going to change the shape of their body or bulk them up really big or, or any of that sort of stuff. And I like to just add in like those smaller sources of protein. So, you know, it might be a handful of nuts. It might be, you know, a boiled egg. It could be some um, Greek yogurt with some berries and, um, you know, chopped up nuts. So trying to get the balance, healthy foods, but just trying to, to add in small snacks throughout is the best way to sort of gradually introduce that and get more calories in as I as I've found with a lot of the clients I work with um, a few times I'll get um, older people as well that they're starting to lose you know bone density and bone mass and generally that's becoming you know they might have issues with sort of their teeth and so dentures and so they're not eating you know as much as they potentially should and that type of thing can often come in as well so that's when again we need to find foods that are going to be easy for them to digest smaller portions because as, over time if you're not eating as much you do find it harder to increase the amount that you eat you know your, your stomach does tend to shrink in size so it's just adding in some smaller amounts of meals and snacks that they're going to be comfortable with as well right yeah and it's generally not the larger portion of the population who may need to eat a little bit more but i know for me personally when i got all the way down to about 179 pounds and i'm about six foot tall and um like i said right now floating around 190 um it was pretty hard for me to recognize okay well the scale's gonna have to go up a little bit because i'm not feeling that good um you know sleep's going to crap my lifts aren't progressing as they should be so maybe it is time to have the scale go up a little bit just to kind of regain full function and feel as good as i should um do, does it seem like people kind of see results from that when you start kind of hey let's get you maybe one snack here or there to kind of get you a little bit more regular yeah, 100%. So especially when people, like you sort of said, if you're upping, you know, your weights, um, you know, and you're trying to build muscle mass, and then you're not sort of counteracting for that and adding in those extra calories, then you are going to see drops in energy and sleep and um, attention and all those types of things. So when people start to add it in, they generally are quite surprised that it doesn't often take a whole heap. It's not like you have to eat, you know, three extra chicken breasts or something like that. It yeah. tends to be the sort of, you know, oh, I must, you know, bulk up so much, you know, just by adding in a couple of extra snacks, they actually are quite surprised that, oh yeah, my, my energy definitely feels better. I'm not as tired by the end of the day. 
my sleep is evened out. Um, I can get through it, adding in that sort of protein um, post-workout protein um, snack within an hour of finishing that workout is, has been, a, you know, generally a game changer for most people when they start doing a lot of resistance training, that adding that in, they're like, oh, I'm not so starving anymore after having that. And so, yeah, adding in just small amounts really does make a difference overall. I see. Yeah. And I, that was definitely my experience as well. Um, so when it comes to caffeine, um, do you think that people tend to abuse caffeine a little bit more than they should? Uh, yes, unfortunately, I, like anything, caffeine is a drug. It's fantastic. It can help Improve, you know, improve performance. There's a lot of studies showing that if you have caffeine before you do a workout, you're going to perform better in your workout. So it's not something we need to cut out completely, but it's something to regulate. I mean, nowadays there's a lot more, you know, of the drinks on the market that uh, are high in caffeine, but they're also, you know, high in ginseng, guana, and all these other things as well as different chemicals. So I don't think, you know, there is really isn't any of those that I recommend to my clients. You know, if you're going to have um, coffee, you know, that's fine. But I generally try to say to them as well, limit it before midday because coffee has a half-life of six hours. So, you know, by 6 p.m., you know, if you have your coffee, last coffee at midday, by 6 p.m., you've still got half the coffee in your system you know track that on till 9 p.m you've still got a quarter of it in your system so if you're trying to go to bed at you know 10 o'clock at night you're still going to have some coffee in your system from midday so if you're having a coffee at three or four o'clock in the afternoon and then wondering why you can't sleep at night you know that may be part of the reason so always if you're going to have your caffeine you know optimally around that 10 a.m mark so naturally when we wake up in the morning our cortisol levels go up so that's our you know cycle circadian rhythm us waking up, it's, you know, natural. That's what should happen. So our energy levels tend to rise anyway. It's after you've done that workout or that couple of hours of concentration that we start to get that bit of a dip. And that's where if you have that caffeine, it can really give you that lift for the rest of the day. So if you're going to have it around that 10 a.m. post-workout is great. Or if you're really looking for gains in performance and have it in the morning prior to doing your workout. Yeah, and I'm sure you see all the uh, pre-workout products coming out now, and the uh, unfortunate, <laughs> the unfortunate trend of people literally dry scooping pre-workout. Just when I thought I saw it all, uh, you know, you see people now dry scooping pre-workout. Yeah, and it seems to be that people don't recognize what caffeine is. It, like you said, it's a drug, and it's good. And it can also be bad because I think people tend to look at caffeine as, okay, I'm going to use this to make up for my lack of sleep. So do you think people tend to do that more often than not? A hundred percent. You know, <laughs> the amount of people that, are, you know, I will say to them, you know, why don't we look at, you know, just cutting back that coffee to one coffee a day. And they look at me like, Oh, you can't take that away from me. Like I, I need it. Like I need it. When I wake up in the morning, that is what I am looking forward to. I need that coffee to get going. And if you're at that point where you need that coffee to wake up, then there's something wrong you know in your sleep cycle and maybe there's stress and hormone issues and you know there's a dysregulation going on with your health essentially you know coffee like alcohol if you choose to drink alcohol it's there it's a stimulant you know and it's there to give you a boost but shouldn't ever be relied on otherwise we're sort of tipping into different dangerous territory yeah i completely agree so um kind of tagging on to caffeine in of itself there um 
do you have kind of a generic morning routine you recommend to people and a generic night routine you recommend to people? Uh, so generally I sort of say to people, if you can move your body in the morning, it's the best time to do it. So we know that studies have shown if you can exercise prior to 10 a.m., you actually get better gains from it overall than if you're exercising in the afternoon or the evening. Also, if you're exercising later in the day and you're really boosting up those cortisol levels, it's going to be harder to get to sleep as well. So I said anybody, if you're struggling with sleep or, you know, even just to make sure that you can fit in a workout, workout in the morning. Also having a great breakfast. So whether or not, you know, you want to chuck in fruit and veg in a smoothie, you want to have some, you know, as I said before, eggs and avocado. So you're getting protein and good fats. Um, if you want to go for a muesli with a Greek yogurt and some fruit, just make sure it's a whole, you know, nutrient dense based food. So always moving your body and then definitely, you know, eating a healthy breakfast and hydrating. So that's the other thing, you know, people don't often realize how much water we lose overnight just from expiration. So just from breathing. So really making sure that you're starting your hydration first thing in the morning. So they're sort of the three things that I just say, you know, add them in, tick those off. And then when it comes to going to bed, I, you know, say to people turn off screens or phones at least an hour before going to bed, which I think is the hardest for most people. And if you can't do that, then, you know, blue light blockers. So the glasses that you can get are amazing just for helping to, you know, block out that blue light that keeps us awake. Mm -hmm. So one, either turning off those devices or if you, you know, enjoy watching Netflix before bed, get some blue light blockers, dim the lights down or turn them off too, just so yeah. that again, we're getting used to, you know, away from that blue light. And then also making sure that you can wind down in a way. So for me, I have a foam roller in my bedroom. You know, I, I just roll out, do some stretches, which may seem strange, but it's like anything. If it's there and it's in front of you, you're more likely to do it. I have a studio with a whole, you know, range of equipment, but I'm not going to go in there at, at eight o'clock at night. But in my bedroom, I'm going to pull something out and whether or not it's a massage ball. I think some fascia release is really great at the end of the day, just because you get into bed and often, you know, you're tight from your day at work or, you know, activity. So some sort of uh, release is great. Um, and then, you know, if you can read, I think that's just a fantastic way, again, just to calm your mind. But again, trying to go back to a real book rather than reading off a screen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's sort of my three tips in the evening as well. Oh, I think those are uh, all great tips. Yeah, I used to have a TV in my room as a kid all the time. But now I will, like, kill somebody if anybody wants to put a TV in my room because I, I can't have it in there. Um, for me, it's kind of the mental block of like, okay, this has to be where I go to go to sleep. Like, I, I don't want that to be for anything other than that, essentially, right? And it seems like you kind of have the same kind of mindset where like, okay, so you have your foam roller in your bedroom because, okay, you know that this is part of the routine. You want to wind down, so you're going to foam roll, and then you're going to go to bed. You don't want to go into the studio because if you go into your studio, then you know, okay, this is time to work out. And it's it's just the mindset. Um does that seem accurate? And do you think that helps people as well? Yeah, definitely having that mindset and then, um, you know, habit stacking. So I know that, you know, my routine for an evening is to have a shower, put my pajamas on, roll out, 
and then get my book. So that is my sort of, I've stacked a couple of habits in a row. I've made it as easy as possible because they're all in the same area. The foam roller is there so I can see it. And so my body then, you know, my brain learns to associate those things together. So I think if you can have it stacked, that's a really great thing to start doing. And then obviously creating that routine. So it just becomes a natural thing to do, not something out of the blue, because like you said, the foam roller, as soon as I walk into the studio, I either think that I'm working out or I'm working and neither is great for me going to sleep because it's just going to push my cortisol levels straight up. So yeah, definitely having that mindset and making it as easy and as simple for you is it's going to be easier to follow through on. Right. Um, I was looking on my desk because I, I couldn't remember. I think this might be part of my blue light blocking glasses that had recently broke, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I had a pair and I found that uh, kind of to tag onto the routine deal. Um, when I put them on, I kind of knew, okay, well, I'm starting to wind down now. And, you know, when it's time to go to bed, then it's time to go to bed. And, you know, it's, it's cause I have the blue light black, the blue light blocking glasses on that. I'm kind of starting that routine. And it was kind of weird because I record my podcast a little bit later at night. So I used to wear glasses all the time, but now, like I said, they're broken. Um, so I, I hesitate to call this a diet because I don't think intermittent fasting is a diet. It's just, a kind of a way of eating, but what's your thoughts surrounding intermittent fasting? Look, the research is showing that it's amazing. So amazing for losing weight, for improving, you know, concentration levels. Um, generally, we all eat too much nowadays. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we've got food available at all times of the day, everywhere. So for the majority of people, intermittent fasting is great. There's a lot of studies showing it increases longevity and lifespan. Um, so there's not a lot of downsides to intermittent fasting. What I will say on that is that women do need to be a lot more careful with men. Um, you know, due to our hormones, that time of the month and our body being under that stress, where it's not as easy for us to, um, you know, cut back those meals and for as long a period of time so generally for intermittent fasting you know they're talking a, a window of 14 to 16 hours of mm -hmm. not eating um, for women you know I like to work with my clients to 13 to 14 hours um, but generally even if you're sort of going oh intermittent fasting sounds a bit too much if you can do 12 hours you know have your last meal you know finish eating by 7 30 p.m and you don't eat till 7 30 a.m or 8 a.m the next morning I think that's really manageable for everybody. So intermittent fasting, a lot of people sort of get scared of it. But if you start at that lower end, at sort of the 12 hours and even just start with that. And even if you stick with that, you're going to get so many more benefits from it. So yeah, I'm a fan of intermittent fasting, but I do think it has a time and place, you know, obviously not for pregnant ladies in, you know, there's different, if you've got thyroid issues as well, it is something you need to be aware of. Um, and I, generally don't recommend it for people with thyroid issues so again autoimmune disease um, we need to really regulate people's blood sugar levels and that when it comes to thyroid so for the general population it's fantastic but there are some caveats that you just you know need to be careful so if you're going to go on it then it's really best to speak with you know a, a nutritionist a dietitian your doctor someone that can give you some advice on what would suit your body and your current sort of health status Sure. Yeah. And I think that kind of ties into the circadian rhythm as well. So um, I used to do a lot of intermittent fasting and extended fasting, but now since my goals have changed to put on a little bit more lean mass, um, I typically stop eating around six o'clock at night. 
and uh, I start eating at about five o'clock in the morning. So it's about 11 hours, but I try not to eat too, too close to bed just because, especially if you have like a large bowls of protein, you're going to increase your body temperature and your body likes to be a little bit cooler when you sleep. Um, yeah. So I, I, like I said, I still kind of do it, but um, I'm not a fan of eating before you sleep. I used to do the, uh, you know, 12 to eight intermittent fasting, but then as soon as I kind of switched over to having a bigger breakfast and um, eating, you know, maybe like a late dinner or an early dinner, or late lunch, um, that seemed to work a lot better for me. Do you think people do better with having a bigger breakfast or kind of skipping breakfast? I think it really depends on the person. Mm -hmm. I myself, I have to have breakfast. Sure. So similar to you, I have finished sort of eating about 6.30 the night before. I had breakfast kind of around 8 a.m. the next morning. So that's just natural. I'm not trying to intermittent fast. I'm not trying to, you know, be on a, a strict routine. That's just what happens with the way our, our, you know, I've got younger kids, so we eat earlier in the evening and then I get them ready for school. And then once everything's done in school, then I have breakfast. So that's just how it works for me but I think it's really individual I think it depends on your body um, I definitely agree with at least um, finishing your last meal two or three hours before you go to bed so that you're not trying to digest it when you sleep um, and also you know it will just help that circadian rhythm but when it comes to you know I remember when I was younger I'd have a, a my best friend could never eat breakfast and everybody was always trying to force breakfast into her you know like it's the, the best meal of the day it should be the biggest meal of your day you know that's what sets you up but we're not all the same we're you know our digestive systems are all very different we may metabolize our food very differently too so i think it really depends on the individual and it can come back to as well as whether or not you're a morning person or you're a night owl mm -hmm. to you know that, you know, if you're staying up later and then you're sleeping in a bit later in the morning, you're probably not going to eat till midday anyway, if you're getting up at sort of nine or 10 a.m. because your stomach's just not awake. Also depends on your activity. If you, you know, like you and me, if you're getting up and exercising in the morning, then you're going to want food a lot quicker than if, you know, you're sleeping in or, you know, not doing a lot of activity. So I think it's definitely a very individual thing. There's no right or wrong, but it's something that you need to sort of work out, but then also work out what makes you feel good and then obviously health-wise mm -hmm. as well yeah I think that's uh yeah I, I definitely agree um do you think I guess this is a question more for you individually um I could never relate to people who said oh you know I, I have a problem with late night snacking okay I, I look at that I'm like I don't have a problem not snacking at night now throughout the day when I'm actively eating it's a little bit of a different story and you know obviously i still may do it every here and there but um i think it's mostly because people who skip breakfast they tend to eat a whole ton of food before they go to bed and like you said everyone's very individual if you're kicking ass and you feel good don't change a thing but i think a lot of people typically aren't hungry in the morning because you know they ate a whole ton of stuff before they went to bed so they wake up and it's like okay well i'm not hungry yeah, look, the snacking in the evening, you know, majority of my clients, that is their biggest downfall. Mm -hmm. They finish dinner, they're sitting in front of the TV, the chips come out, the chocolate comes out, the ice cream comes out, you know, the glass of wine, and they think that it's just going to be Friday night, and then it's Saturday night, and oh, we'll celebrate on Sunday because it's just about to start a new week, and it kind of goes on. So one, I think it becomes a bit of a, a 
habitual thing and they associate when I watch TV, then I eat this food. And, you know, they get the hit of dopamine. So we get a hit of dopamine when we anticipate pleasure or we anticipate reward. It doesn't, it's not the actual, it's not the eating the chocolate, it's the thinking of getting the chocolate. So I think, you know, people build those associations up with pleasure. You know, when I watch TV, I eat chocolate and that all feels great. So we get that dopamine hit and trying to break that you know is a hard thing to do but definitely can be done it's trying to learn different associations that you know when I've had a hard day I'm going to have a relaxing bath I don't need to reward myself with a glass of wine so it's finding healthier rewards or it might be going for a walk with your partner after dinner or you know whatever it is so swapping it out for something healthier I think also too if you are doing sort of intermittent fasting or maybe you're not having breakfast that's fine but it means that your first meal that you break your fast with it needs to be a healthy well-balanced meal so you know if you don't eat and then at 11 a.m you know you break your fast with a muffin that's not the same as breaking your fast with a roast vegetable salad with some you know roasted uh, salmon and and stuff like that so I think the first meal of the day does make a difference because it sets you up if you have a sugar-laden meal to start your day off with then you're going to be on a roller coaster ride with blood sugar levels and you're going to keep reaching for sugar Whereas if you break that fast with a really healthy balanced meal, it is going to set you up for the rest of the day. So I think it's a combination. I also think sometimes too, people aren't eating a nutrient dense meal at dinner. So say you do have a, a takeaway food, you know, let's just say that you've gone out to McDonald's and, you know, that's what you had on Friday night. Well, that type of food, you know, is high in seed oils, it's high in sugars, you know, you're going to crash after that. And then you're probably going to go, yeah, I want something sweet. You're going to get a craving and you're going to reach for the ice cream, the chocolate. So I think our patterns throughout the day really do set us up. So no matter what time you're eating your first meal, always make sure it's nutrient dense. And then in the evening when you're trying to, you know, you know, link those patterns of watching TV, maybe try to break it up and find a different reward rather than linking it to, you know, eating those types of foods. Yeah, Absolutely. And especially with your first meal, um, it's so important to make sure you get sufficient protein in so that way you're maintaining as much lean mass as possible because we know as you get more and more muscular that your metabolism is going to be a little bit higher and higher and higher. <laughs> so it's very, very important that you kind of hit that first thing and not only that protein is a lot more satiate, satiating, so you're not going to want to eat as much after that. Um, yeah, so... I guess we'll do a couple more questions. We can kind of wrap up. How's been a uh, business owner being, um, since you own a gym, oh God, I completely put the wording of that question, but uh, is it rewarding to be a, a business owner in the health industry? It is, but I will say the last couple of years have been really turbulent. So my in-person studio um, with the amount of lockdowns that we had. So we'll say the two years that we've had of this pandemic, we were closed for a year. So um, a, a very difficult time. I'm lucky that, you know, my business is based from home. So, you know, we set up our business for on a corner block. My business is separate to the house, separate entrance and everything, but I didn't have to pay rent. So that was really great. I was also able to move stuff online. So that was fantastic. But there are a lot of people that, you know, either that was too challenging to do or they didn't have a service that they could move online. So it's definitely rewarding. I love helping people, but I will say the last two years um, have taught me a lot on how to adapt. Uh, and I think, you know, for the 
better. But, you know, through podcasts, we've always used online, but, you know, a lot of my clients and my nutrition consults, they've always been done in person. And now we're doing a lot more online and it's, you know, it's, it's time-saving, it's convenient for everybody involved. So I think, you know, there's been great sort of changes that have come from it, but, um, you know, there's been a lot of stress through it as well. Yeah, I I could definitely relate. Um, as a mechanic, it was kind of weird to me to be laid off in 2020. I'm like, well, cars always break, so I won't be laid off from my job. But, <laughs> you know, lo and behold, um, what are your thoughts on the fitness industry today? It seems like it's kind of improving. There's a lot of charlatans out there that put out a lot of bad information and also um, – really give people, I think, eating disorders and problems surrounding food. But it also seems like people are coming clean with, you know, kind of drug use. And there's a lot of good information out there that's a little bit more readily available. But once again, there's still plenty of charlatans of people who lie to sell products. Yeah, there's a total mix. I mean, I think like, you know, more than ever before, there's more of everything. So you have to be aware. I think as the consumer, that's the hardest part because, you know, you're looking to say social media to the experts. And I will admit, I will scroll through Instagram and go, that exercise is not really appropriate for a pregnant woman. I, I would never, I would never put one of my clients in that position. But, you know, what can you do if you are someone that doesn't have that knowledge or experience, you're just trusting what's putting on, you know, what's getting put up there. That's hundred percent. So I always say to my clients, you know, check out the person's credentials, you know, look up, you know, find, it might be their website or whatever their bio, whatever it would be. See if there are credentials, um, check out more of their work. If you're, you know, really interested, then delve into it a bit deeper. See if you can find some more info on what they offer, you know, maybe where they've previously worked or what they've been doing. So I think it's very hard from a consumer perspective, for sure. I also think, you know, the adage of the, you know, if you look a certain way, people, you know, will, mm-hmm. will go and gravitate towards you, which is certainly the case on on things like Instagram. And I've been approached by people and they're like, why don't you fake tan? And why don't you wear short crop tops? And why don't you, you know, and I'm like, because that's not the person I am. And I, you know, I will put up exercise workouts on there and nutrition stuff like that. But I'm like, this is who I am. This is how it gets results. But, you know, that image does sell and that image does get a lot of likes and a lot of attention. So I guess it just depends on the the type of client you're trying to attract. Um, But it is, I think, hard as a professional when you are competing with so many people and there isn't any regulation nowadays. You know, you can, everyone can just, you know, not really do any course, but just start putting stuff up and and not sort of be verified or checked. So I just always say to me, my clients, you know, check out the person, look at their credentials, you know, make sure that they're the real deal um, before sort of committing to anything. But yeah, I think it's hard on, on sort of both sides um, mm-hmm. with the rise of social media and, and so many new products. You know, there's endless products on, you know, tablets to lose weight and, yeah. you know, new bars and, you know, the way they're advertised to is really confusing. So, um, yeah, it's a tough industry. And I always just say to people, you know, if you're unsure, then, you know, ask me or, or speak to your doctor or, you know, take the, the clip in with you or cut out what it is and show people that, you know, so you can get some advice as well. Yeah, I mean, you see people, 
and it's so frustrating because I was one of these people at one point, and that's kind of why I fell into the carnivore diet is because you see people get these crazy results. You see movie stars, and they look phenomenal, but none of them will tell you, look, <laughs> these people are on all sorts of performance-enhancing drugs. You can't just do their workout. And yeah, they may say they eat chicken, broccoli, and rice for six meals a day, but like th that's not attainable for the average person. And I, I do think it does a lot of harm. I mean, you hear some of these fitness influencers tell people, if you don't have abs, you're fat. Like imagine how difficult it is for people to get that lean, um, single digit percentage body fat. That's hard. That's a lot of freaking dieting. And you'll hate your life when you get there. Nobody knows that. These people look great. And then they're out here saying, oh, if you just do this, if you just drink my drink, if you just take my shake, if you just do my diet, you'll look like me. And I think it's really damaging for a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. And especially, you know, younger people that are impressionable, but also just, you know, the everyday person, they're generally tending to go onto social media as a bit of escapism, but they tend to get off, you know, studies have shown that they tend to get off feeling worse than what they did getting on because, you know, they see the perfect body, they see the flat abs, they see the healthy meals, and then they, you know, just start going, well, I'm not doing any, any of those things, or I don't look like that person, but I am doing those things and I still don't look like that person. So I think that comparison track can be very easy to fall into. Um, you know, I only use social media for work. I try to, to use it in a positive way and, you know, encourage my clients that if there is anything that's making you feel bad, you know, unfollow it, you know, don't sort of, you know, spend your time on it, but also maybe look at how much time you're spending on, on social media. And if you can dial that back and spend that time, you know, having real interactions with people or, or actually doing the exercises or meal prepping that healthy food and, you know, less of the sort of viewing and more of the doing, then you tend to get more benefit from it too. But, you know, I know it's often easier said than done, but just trying to make those small changes can help. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree because you really need to kind of block out that, that stuff. And I find that using a timer on Facebook after an hour of being on, which sounds ridiculous because think about just sitting scrolling through Facebook for an hour. I mean, you would go insane, but throughout the course of a day, you'd be amazed how much you just kind of open it and scroll through. And then that, that adds up really, really quick. Um, and I actually didn't know that there were studies that proved that people literally feel worse than when they first logged on to when they get off. Um, yeah, that's, that's awful because you would think with the world's greatest technology at our fingertips, we should be constantly feeling better, lifting each other up. Well, I'm sure as you know, people on the internet don't lift other people up. That's it. I mean, there can be, I mean, I've made some, you know, through the podcasts and stuff, there's, mm -hmm. we've had made some amazing connections and Absolutely. you can find that. But then, you know, there can be a lot of trolling and stuff that can go on as well. So I think small doses, um, you know, use it in a, in a positive way to connect with people. And, you know, it's great for, you know, education if you can, you know, find people that you can follow and trust. Um, I think it can be a great tool in that way. You know, it's super easy. It's at our fingertips. Um, but I also think, you know, to have that healthy life, we really need those social connections so building those in-person connections with friends and family is you know going to be a lot more beneficial in the long run than the extra 10 20 minutes you spend on social media absolutely well one thing i really liked about your podcast is that it's not long and droning on as mine tends to be it's about uh you know what like 10 to a half hour 10 minutes to a half hour 
And I think it's very, very digestible for people. And you tend to explain things in a way that I think just about anybody can understand. And it's not this high abstract where people just can't necessarily grasp it. Um, is there anything you kind of want to add on to that? No, I guess, you know, my podcast is aimed at, you know, busy women. So, you know, you can find that sort of 10 to 30 minute. But then I also think these long form of sort of type of podcasts are really beneficial because you can dive into topics and really, you know, digest them. And, and get to know people a little bit more too. So I really do think that there's a place for both, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, people gravitate to different things. So, you know, yeah, I tend to be one of those, um, you know, faster, go, go, go type of people. And also I don't like to mince words. So if I can explain or, or teach something in two minutes, then I'm going to do it that way, then try to drag it out for 15 or, or 20 minutes, just because that's the type of my personality, really. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently you're a much better teacher than me because I tend to like the sound of my own voice a little bit too much. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, Kate, this has been awesome. I got two questions to ask you and then we'll get out of here. Um, what does health look like to you? Balance. It's looked very different over the years too. So how I thought or, or did my health in my teens to my 20s to my 30s has been very different as my life has changed. So I always say that health, it's not stagnant. It's constantly changing from, you know, minute to hour to day to day. So I like to think that it's a balance of, you know, healthy eating, um, you know, moving my body, but also looking after my mental health as well. So having that balance of everything together. Awesome. Yeah, that's a perfect answer. Where can everybody find you and check out your show and your business? Uh, so, <laughs> so my uh, website is www.mindmovementhealth.com.au and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mind Movement Health as well. Awesome. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation. I'm kind of glad to get away from some of the more sticky stuff that I've been talking about recently. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think people are really going to enjoy this. And I think you're a um, you know great person to be doing the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, hopefully this gets a lot of uh, traffic over to you because I think um, you know, you're doing really, really great work. So um, yeah, without that, um, let's, uh, let's rock and roll. This was an awesome conversation. So uh, until next time, everybody, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.